We're going. Let's do it live. We're doing live. We're doing live. We're our special guest today is Bill O'Reilly, also joined by Severin. Uh, No, for real. Very, very nice to be here. Um, I'm recovering from COVID. This is our live stream number 111. This goes up to 11 and to 111. I'm very excited for today's live stream. We have an awesome guest who's well experienced, given plenty of talks before. And said that I have full right to interrupt him whenever I want. Not only when there's a question, but whenever I feel like it. Anyway, folks, just quick reminders. As you know, we've always got stuff going on the data on Kubernetes community. Um, and the most recent piece of news is our KubeCon DOK co-located event, CFP. I'll leave the link here. There are very clear instructions. I'll say right now, no vendor pitches. I'll say it again, no vendor pitches. And just to be extra sure, no vendor pitches, no vendor pitches. Please, we want talks that are educational, about talking about running stable workloads on Kubernetes as often as possible, get end users into the picture. You have extra guidelines in the CFP. So don't just copy and paste the talk that you gave two years ago at some open source conference. Remember, we're looking for stuff that's focused on data on Kubernetes. Uh, that being said, pretty straightforward. I want to turn it over to our very accomplished guest. Severin Ryberg is no stranger to data pipelines. And today we're going to be hearing about Dask as well as Argo. We've heard a little bit about Argo before and it's wonders. Um, but here, today we're going to be hearing a little bit more. But before we get started, Severin, can you just introduce yourself? Tell us about yourself and tell us what your favorite food is now that I've lost my sense of taste and smell. Oh, okay. really putting me on the spot with the food there. Food <laughs> you, you start, start with the technical introduction that we can over the food. Sure, yeah. Um, great. Um, actually, I have a, a nice slide to answer oh, this specific oh, jump, question. Jump right in. Jump right in. Do that. If you don't mind, I would Take be happy advantage. to. Take advantage. Yeah, do so. All right, so let me throw up my screen. Please let me know if you see it. I will. Oh, we and, can, and that is a very nice looking coffee cup, which I uh, believe yes. I may, which I may have, I believe I may have seen some of your other YouTube videos because it made an appearance. I just took this picture yesterday, so oh, I would be may, shocked not, if you not, had seen not, this not. one before. That was color associations, <laughs> excuse me, but it's a beautiful coffee cup. Anyway, I'll be quiet now. Uh, like I said, you're welcome to introduce or interrupt as you wish. Um, cool. So specifically on the question of who I am, where do can I come you, can from? You make, can you make that full screen? Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, I can also even, yeah. Nice. As, perfect. Yeah. Nice. Good stuff. Okay. Yep. All right. So yeah, uh, just some, some short details about me. Um, uh, for quite a long time, I was on an academic track, uh, originally in the direction of physics and electrical engineering. Actually, both of these degrees were at Texas Tech University. Uh, in the US, obviously in Texas. And since then, um, actually I got into the direction of renewable energy analysis first at the uh, National Renewable Energy Lab uh, sometime in 2015. Uh, at the same time, I was also uh, adjunct professor at Colorado School of Mines in both of these places, basically doing C++ development here, a developer slash intern here, a professor. So it was quite a weird time in my life to be both of those things at once. Um, but nevertheless fun and, you know, of course, very technical. Uh, after that, I wasn't so ready. I wasn't so done torturing myself academically wise. So I thought, yeah, why not go to Germany and do a, a PhD, which brought me out to the RTH Aachen, uh, where I did PhD research in renewable energy integrations across Europe, also energy system analysis. And uh, I was actually the, I was maintaining the infrastructure stack for the uh, research group roughly a group of about 70 or so people. Uh, that transitioned into a postdoc position, of course, uh, where I wasn't just maintaining the infrastructure, but actually architecting it because you know the, the research group was growing. Uh, but then I'm happy to say that since mid-2020, I have been the infrastructure architect at Acure Battery Intelligence, uh, which, which brings us to today. So that's my roadmap. And still waiting still wait on that favorite food. Ah, yeah, favorite food. Oof, okay. Um, I'm going to uh, send a shout out to my uh, girlfriend who makes the most amazing um, little Turkish pizzas, she calls them. Um, super okay. tasty, sujuk, uh, sujuk sausage with a little bit of uh, Gouda cheese on top of some bread with some mint. Um, I'm not sure what else she does, a little bit of curry No, no, that sounds really good. Sauce. You, you really got, really you, tasty. You 
You had me at Gouda cheese and Turkish pizza. <laughs> if you could, would it be possible to send a picture afterwards in Slack so we can share it? Because I think everyone wants to know about this now. That sounds really. Oh wow. Okay. Well, if you uh, have one, anyway, that that's that's for that's for that's for the future. But we'll we'll get to that later. Now, anyway, now you're you're putting both me and my girlfriend on the spot. Now you're know, on, no, a, but, on a roll. No, but you but you did yourself a disservice by describing that's it true. so well. That sounds really good as someone who has no sense of taste and smell right now because uh, uh, of COVID side effects. But anyway, continue. That's that's the real tragedy. Okay. Uh, back on topic. So um, quick, uh, shameless plug for my company. So Acure is a, a battery intelligence company funded started in mid 2020. So we're still quite young. Uh, we're closing in on about 50 employees and we're hiring in case you're interested in uh, rather interested in batteries and data and all these different types of things. And basically what we want to do is monitor batteries, compute their health, you know, make sure things are safe, optimizing, you know, these types of topics, um, very heuristic algorithms. We would have to write a little bit of ML, uh, that sort of a direction. Um, our, our USP is that uh, basically not only coming from a background in this topic, we also are 100% software driven, right? So we want to be able to solve everything with data, um, and with, uh, you know, without having to put any, any hardware in the battery, you know, so our ultimate goal is to monitor every battery on the planet, you know, and, um, you know, our other USP is we're born in the cloud. So everything we do is in AWS or some other Kubernetes cluster, you will not find a, um, a workstation sitting in one of our closets. Um, we have laptops and that's it. Some of us even work completely remotely. So. Um, quite a quite a nice edgy place to be, and the primary tools that we use are Python, AWS, and of course Kubernetes. That's why uh, we're here today, and more on those later on. So my particular role at Acure is actually I was the sole infrastructure developer for quite a long time. The infrastructure team has grown now to a size of about ten, um, so I'm doing a little bit more managerial work uh, now. But I've basically touched everything under the sun in terms of um, infrastructure at Acure in the last uh, two-ish years. So, you know, that includes uh, data engineering, traditional development, DevOps, uh, we use GitLab CI, and cloud engineering, as I mentioned, in AWS, as well as Kubernetes. So, you know, making sure our computational pipelines are schedulable and scalable. And that is it for my introduction. Hopefully that hits all the points. Yes, um, I'll just continue on then. Okay, so the talk that we're going to go into today is scheduled scaling with Dask and Argo workflows. Um, and the goals for this presentation are to understand why Argo plus Dask was um, a good choice for, uh, for us specifically. Um, I then wanna provide like a rough overview of the infrastructure setup that we've used and um, you know, to kind of give you all some perspective there. But then uh, I want to delve a little bit more into depth with a very basic example with um, Argo workflows and, um, and Dask, you know, going over those things that I've set up for you today. And then of course, uh, doing it live. Uh, so showing you how it goes. So those are the goals. And these are the different uh, sections that we'll, that we'll cover. All right, introduction. You already know who I am, so I can just continue past this one and let's get directly into the motivation. So, you know, what problems were needing to be solved, right? What led us down this path? Um, and when, even actually before Acure was founded, we knew uh, several operational requirements that we, we knew that we would need to develop our solution around. So we knew on the one hand that we wanted to stay in Python, um, mostly because this aligned with our developers' uh, skill sets. And not only that, but some of the people on our team had worked with other tools in the past, notably Spark, um, you know, and, and really had a, um, you know, they weren't so happy with it, let's, let's put it that way. Um, and, you know, that's not just Spark itself, but also PySpark specifically, we were not so interested in uh, because of how it flips between Python and the JVM. Uh, we, we also knew, and, you know, related to PySpark, we also knew that we wanted to go beyond simple black box type, uh, or rather we needed, we noted that we needed to go beyond simple MapReduce type functions. And we really needed to be able to scale any generic black box type thing um, in, in a lot of different environments um, or other contexts. 
Uh, we also knew that we wanted to have a shared development experience across all of our development uh, environments, you know, everything from testing to production to staging. Um, you know, we want these to be, like we want the code that a developer writes and tests in Sandbox to basically be the same code that ends up, um, you know, traveling all the way up to production. You know, of course, once it tests, uh, passes all the tests and, and these types of things. Uh, we really wanted to avoid a situation where um, something has to be written specifically for production, but you know, then a developer can't run that same thing locally without some very complex setup. Um, so yeah, something, a shared experience there. We also knew that we wanted to do uh, all kinds of parallel processing, both simple batch processing, as well as like shared parallel processing. Um, and we also wanted to promote self-service for our data engineers. And by this, I mean, um, our data engineers, people who really focus on battery algorithms, you know, they know batteries, they're pretty good at Python with NumPy, with Pandas, but, you know, they might not be the best with distributed computing, and they almost certainly aren't going to know things like cloud computing or um, Kubernetes. Um, and instead of forcing everyone to become a generalist, uh, you know, we wanted to use a service or a tool that allows these data engineers to um, service themselves as much as possible without having, having to get into all that depth. We also had several- Sorry, sorry if I can just stop you there really quickly. As someone who has sure. a background in, in education and, and looking at things like, you know, that are as challenging as Kubernetes, when you're approaching a group of engineers and you need to get them onboarded and you need to understand, you know, what they, what they know, what they don't know, what they've learned, what they need to unlearn, how do you sort of develop a, if we want to call it an internal curriculum to make that happen? That's a hard one, honestly, because, you know, everyone's coming in with their own, you know, goals with what they're, with what they're wanting to learn. And, you know, to be honest, I would say as much as possible, um, I, I've found a lot of success trying to make the tool match the developer, right? So um, that's actually a topic I'm going to talk about in this presentation today, um, where, you know, we took Dask, we took Argo, uh, we kind of added a, a cure specific layer on top of that um, and then basically accomplished this task right here. Sorry, whoops. Uh, this like shared development experience. Mm -hmm. And then basically, you know, allowing the developer to work in the thing that they know best, you know, which is in this case, Python, Pandas, you know, not having to think about all these uh, other topics. And we just say, hey, make me a function, throw a decorator on that, um, you don't have to know what that decorator is doing behind the hood, but as long as you have that decorator, you're scalable. Um, and then we found a lot of success with that. You know, we, we have people who come in with very minimal experience and, you know, they can run um, very large pipelines fairly easily. So uh, hopefully that answers your question. No, no, that's good. And the thing is, I don't think there's one, there's a single answer to that question. Just curious as to what your approach is, uh, was and particularly having been in academia as well. Anyway, crack mm -hmm. on. Sure. Um, Okay, so uh, infrastructural and security requirements. Um, I think in the interest of time, I may try to go through these a little bit faster, but basically we knew that we wanted to have ultra low latency parallelization. You know, we're gonna have you know, hundreds of thousands of batteries to monitor and each battery has dozens of individual um, cells, maybe even hundreds of cells, uh, which are each producing their own time series data and they all need to be analyzed. And so if we have any sort of latency in our parallelization infrastructure at all, you know, those like seconds that it takes to spin up a Kubernetes pod um, are gonna be killer. So we knew we needed to avoid that. Uh, we also wanted to have a multi-tenant environment, you know, because we we're gonna have multiple customers. And when I say customers here, I mean, you know, the big OEM battery providers, not, um, you know, not mom and pop who might have a battery in their garage, but rather, you know, the company that mom and pop bought their battery from, right? Um, and so we're gonna have a few very big profile customers. We wanna make sure that they don't have any chance of uh, conflicting each other, um, or rather, you know, uh, or affecting each other. So, you know, they should be as much as possible completely isolated, uh, hence multi-tenancy. And if we want cost efficient computations, of course, um, Automation in our deployments, version controlling, high data throughput, uh, especially in this case, because we have a lot of time series data that needs to be basically reanalyzed every day when new data comes in. Um, and then, you know, other typical things that you would expect, you know, secure access, uh, dependable scheduling, logging, and archiving. 
So you might ask yourself, why not just use a service for our pipeline scaling? And actually, this was the first thing that we thought to do ourselves. So we looked at things like Apache Airflow and you know services that also provide Apache Airflow. Um, and we weren't super happy with the learning curve there. And note that this was also before Airflow 2.0, which means it also didn't have the best Kubernetes support. Um, and you know, if we want to have Apache Airflow, you know, we still need to maintain our own Kubernetes cluster. So it's not like we even avoid that uh, complexity. You know, we would still need to do that. There's also a nice service called Prefect, um, which um, actually for quite a while we were really happy with. It was the first one we were working with, uh, rather the first one that we had signed on with. Um, but at the beginning, they were kind of also an early stage startup that were obviously going through their own growing pains. And um, you know, it, uh, it, it, that ended up affecting us, right? And note that this was in early January, so that probably has changed in this time. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, we had already decided to move on. And more importantly, um, they actually changed their cost model, which makes a lot of sense probably for a lot of customers, but for us specifically, it um, drastically changed our price point. So it, it no longer was an economic choice for us. And then we also tried some AWS specific tools like Batch and Glue, but we found these to be not so flexible. And um, if we could, we prefer to stay cloud agnostic. So in the end, there's only one option and that's to phi.te, do it yourself. All right, so let's get into Kubernetes, Argo, and Dask, and maybe even hopefully have a little bit of fun. So these are the requirements that I just listed that we, um, that we knew that we needed. And of course, we know that we want to go Kubernetes because yay, Kubernetes. Um, and with that, you know, we directly get multi-tenancy um, and uh, everything else that comes along with Kubernetes, right? So uh, we start with that. Actually, we're using AWS EKS here. Um, but presumably you'd be able to use any Kubernetes cluster uh, to do the same thing. We then slapped a K8 autoscaler in there and that's what gives us our cost-effective um, scaling, right? So whenever we add some pods, the scaler scales the cluster up and down and that works beautifully. So not much to think about there. We then used uh, Argo workflows, which um, let's have a quick aside about Argo workflows. So Argo workflows, for those of you who aren't aware, um, Bart, you mentioned that actually it's been talked about several times already um, in the docs community, but nevertheless, just a quick overview. Um, here's an excerpt directly from the Argo homepage. And uh, in short, Argo workflows is a um, Kubernetes native workflow engine, right? Where you define each of your individual nodes. Um, here's an example of, um, of a DAG over here. Uh, you define each of your individual nodes, these little checkboxes, as containers, and then you string those containers in a directed acyclic graph, which you can see here. Um, and I have shamelessly stolen this image from ArgoCon because I liked it quite a bit. Here's a workflow that teaches you how to make a cake. Um, and you can imagine that each of these are, you know, maybe this one's written in Python, this one's written in Go, you know, this one's written in something else. Um, you know, you can really do a lot of things with Argo workflows. It's it's great. And plus that and plus it's Kubernetes native. So everything that is nice about Kubernetes is also nice about Argo workflows. Um, and of course you can pass information in between tasks and um, you know uh, as you might expect from a workflow engine. Okay, so back to the stack. So once we've added Argo workflows, we get some black box genericness. Uh, like I just mentioned, you can put any node uh, rather any image inside of any one of these nodes. Um, we also get uh, dependable scheduling, which is super nice, but Argo workflows by itself does not solve our requirements. Um, mostly because, you know, spinning up pods uh, always takes some seconds, which maybe for you is going to be fine, but for us, um, you know, spinning up a hundred thousand pods for one pipeline is, is going to take, you know, hours. And that's just not, uh, that's not something that that we can do. So um, so that one is actually kind of broken if we only rely on Argo workflows. Also self-service and the shared development experience are both broken um, because uh, a normal developer, someone who doesn't know Kubernetes um, and doesn't know cloud would have to learn, you know, kubectl and these types of things in order to interact with Argo. Um, so we wanted to avoid that. I'll come back to those broken points in a bit. 
But uh, we also use Prometheus and ELK for our logging. Um, our ELK sits outside of our Kubernetes cluster um, because we, we found that to be a bit more stable. And also, you know, we, here we just use the open, uh, open uh, stack service from AWS as opposed to, you know, managing it ourselves. So it's also easier. And uh, we have PostgreSQL, which then will archive all of our uh, Argo workflows, you know, so we know what ran when, how long did it take, you know, we can go through, we can crawl through histories. It's um, a really nice connection there. Um, and of course, Postgres can also be our data, or rather can provide some of our data, but not at the high throughput that we're thinking about here. Because again, we can potentially have thousands of workers all working at the same time, and you can't effectively have thousands of workers all talking to the same PostgreSQL, you know, pushing and pulling data all at once. So, um, you know, we uh, add S3 in there with a data lake type approach, and that gives us our um, data throughputness. And in order to make this all version controlled, of course, um, in infrastructure as code is your friend, we chose to use Pulumi for that um, because it can manage all of these things all at once. Um, and we develop everything in, in GitLab, right? I think I mentioned that one previously. And then finally, sitting on top of all of these individual tools is Dask. Um, so here's another aside about Dask. So um, many of you are probably new to Dask. So, uh, so what is Dask, right? So Dask, Dask is a, uh, it's a high throughput, um, or rather it's used for high throughput data pipelines in Python, right? It's a parallelization engine in Python, um, which has been around for quite a while. And it, it's quite nice that it splits the concept of pipelining um, into data collections, um, a task graph and schedulers, right? And basically you can mix and match these things together. And in fact, um, you really only have to think about the collections and maybe the scheduler as well, but Dask always manages the task graph on your behalf. And so what's nice about that is you can use Dask collections like Dask arrays and Dask data frames, which are super similar to NumPy and Pandas respectively. Um, or you can use the, the futures interface for kind of normal batch processing type workloads. And you can build up a task graph basically in the same way that you would program any other Python uh, script. You know, so it, it almost looks indistinguishable. Um, and Dask will put that into a task graph for you. And then it'll run that task graph on whatever scheduler is available, be it a single machine that runs, you know, single threaded or multi-processed machine, or even a distributed setting um, like a Kubernetes cluster where you have multiple pods, which are all uh, individual workers. So Dask can span all of these different domains. And what's nice about that is the, um, the developers on our team only have to think about the, um, you know, the collections layer, right? Uh, so it's, it's as close to pure data analytics Python that you can get. Um, and we only have to think about the scheduler side of things more or less on the, on the infrastructure side. Um, and Dask spans that gap for us. And Dask is really nice because it's useful also for you know, any kind of parallelized workload. So embarrassingly parallel, uh, totally fine. MapReduce type workloads similar to Hadoop and Spark also possible and you know, really any other full task scheduling thing you can imagine, um, be it messy or otherwise, uh, you can also do quite easily with Dask. So Dask comes out of the box with all these nice features. It's super, um, super easy to use, for, especially for people who are coming from, um, you know, like the, the data side of Python. Um, you know, they, I think they would be very familiar with the Dask interface. Um, and if you do have trouble with Dask, there's also, you know, Dask has been around long enough that it has a lot of, um, uh, services available. You know, you can get Dask as a service from people like um, uh, Coiled for one is, is one that Acure uses. And there's also um, Saturn Cloud and maybe even also a, a few others. Um, so if you need help with Dask, you can also find it. Um, as mentioned, Acure did have to implement some of our own things on top of Dask to really fit it to our particular use case. So things like work avoidance, um, and task artifacting and logging we had to do. Um, those things are kind of out of the scope of the talk today, so I'll skip over them for now. Okay, back to the stack. So once we've added Dask, 
we then have our batch and shared parallel processing is checked. Our black box generic function is double checked here because we both have it checked, in my opinion, from the Argo workflows perspective, where we can, you know, we can string together any any number of like Kubernetes pods or containers that we might want to. But even within, even across uh, many pods, we can scale generic Python functions as well. So we have like, in my opinion, very, very strong uh, genericness here and also very, very strong scalability. And uh, Dask also gives us our ultra low latency, which, um, which Akira knows that we're going to need quite a bit. Um, we are still missing our self-service, which we get from these Dask as a service companies, like I mentioned. Like I said, we, we use Coiled. Um, and in order to finally make this shared development experience, um, you know, so that the developers can really just think about one um, uh, collections layer, uh, we have our Akira utilities. And with that, all of our requirements are satisfied and we can start building out our data pipelines. So that is our uh, that is our stack that we use. All right. Um, so someone might ask, how can we combine Dask and Argo workflows? So I'll um, walk through this briefly at a you know from a high level. So Argo defines um, custom resource definitions, of course, and it defines among other things uh, cluster workflow templates and workflow templates where you know, cluster workflow templates, rather, um, excuse me, workflow templates will define a, a DAG, something like, uh, okay, it's too far away, but you remember that uh, DAG that I showed previously. Um, this one can also be considered a very simple DAG. Um, a workflow template will define a DAG and a cluster workflow template does it at the cluster level, whereas a workflow template does it within a namespace. So the idea here is to make a standard Dask scaling workflow template and to put that at the cluster level and basically make that um, uh, as abstract as possible and you know something that's applicable to any pipeline uh, that one could imagine writing in Dask, right? So the idea here is uh, we have a cluster workflow template and as long as we specify an image repository that we want to use where there's an image in there that has a Dask pipeline, and we specify things like pod resources and pipeline settings, you know, then this becomes something super general. And it's also fairly simple as well. I'll go in more, I'll go through it in more detail later on. But basically, the only thing that's happening in here is, um, you know, the workflow template would first initialize the workflow uh, that's going to, of course, uh, get computed. It will then build out a Dask scheduler, um, where the Dask scheduler is, of course, doing the um, you know the networking and it's sending tasks around between the workers and it's you know talking to the um, to the client over here um, to understand like what tasks need to be done. It also will do things like serve a um, a dashboard that you can go to 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 watch your pipelines and you know a few other functionalities as well. Um, so you build out your Dask scheduler. You then have to pass the Dask scheduler's IP address to. Um, the primary pipeline. This is just a container which runs the Python script, which knows to look out for you know this task scheduler and to start submitting jobs to it. And it also has to pass the IP address to Dask workers. And the Dask workers would come in as a deployment and it would spin up however many number of workers that you want. And those workers will be alive as long as the pipeline is getting computed. And you know they'll just be performing tasks um, that the that the pipeline needs to be performed. Um, and then at the end of the pipeline, uh, or rather at the end of the workflow, once the pipeline has finished, there's a teardown process, which, you know, make sure to clean up whatever workers may still be online and, you know, other things that were created along the way. And so that is our standard scaler. And we can, we can tailor that to a specific pipeline, you know, so for example, we want to compute or rather we wanna do the ELT pipeline for customer ABC, for instance. Um, you know, this would be a specific pipeline configuration around the general one. And here we just need to specify maybe which, which tag we're interested in. So we know exactly which image is being scaled out here. Um, we wanna say how many workers we should use and whatever special pipeline arguments we might, we might want to use. Um, 
And as long as we specify those, they can be passed into here, and then you know everything um, everything is is working well. And uh, as mentioned, each of these nodes in the um, Argo workflows are containers, at least these orange ones are. And in this case, actually, these are all just a container which is built from, these are all the same, uh, rather a container which is built from the same image, right? And this is just a simple Python 388 buster image with desk and distributed and whatever other Python packages you need, you know, cooked into the image. Um, and then doing things like activating environments and, um, you know, um, doing you know, whatever else you might imagine needing to do in your Docker image um, for your particular pipeline. Um, but nevertheless, it's a it's just an image that has uh, the Dask scheduler, Dask worker, and the specific pipeline you want to run available on the path, so that they can be accessed from uh, Argo workflows. All right. Um, okay. So then I want to talk a little bit about um, today's demo. So today's, and actually, in fact, I realized that my slides are out of order. So the, this slide was supposed to come after this slide. So you can just imagine that that happened. Um, <laughs> you are forgiven. Not a problem. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, today's example is going to be very simple. Actually, it's just going to scale out a a really basic batch processing um, workload. And in fact, kind of one that doesn't really make sense to do because of how simple it is, but nevertheless, it shows off um, you know, some of the core features that, that I'm trying to showcase here. And given my personal history in renewable energy simulation, uh, specifically in Europe, I thought it would be fun to look at time series weather data in Spain. And uh, specifically what we're gonna do is look at um, uh, five different cities in Spain, Madrid, Valencia, Barcelona, Sevilla and Bilbao. I don't yes, think I ever pronounced where, that one right. Okay, don't worry, most people don't. Uh, but yeah, Bilbao. That's where. That's that's where I am. That's good. That's very very good. Yeah, it was, uh, it's nice to be included. There you go. <laughs> all right. So, and of course, I want to ask the age-old question: Which is the windiest city? We all know Spain is a windy place, but which is the windiest? So, what we will do today is, I have an image, and in that image is some simple weather data time series weather data. And I've written a script here, uh, or rather a function in Python, which will look to that weather data. You just have to specify which um, uh, city you're interested in. It will look into that weather data. It will, um, it will look into that weather data and at a specific timestamp, it will find which of those cities is the windiest. Um, and then it's going to do that one by one for each city, for all timestamps each has independent tasks. So there you see, it's actually, a, I mean, of course there's way more efficient ways to do this, um, but you know, each of these independent tasks will all happen on the Dask workers. Um, and then uh, that will get re-concatenated back into the, um, into, the, into the pipeline worker where we'll receive a count of how often each city was the windiest. And then we'll get a report for that at the very end. So that's our pipeline, super duper simple. And um, more slides out of order. Super sorry for that. Um, you can you can find this code if you're interested in. You can find it here, um, and you'll you'll notice that my name is is not here. That's actually because this uh, demo was created with the help of the PipeKit team um, for another talk that we gave together. Um, so shout out to the PipeKit team. Um, that's actually another startup that Akira is working with. They've helped us install Argo workflows and do some other troubleshooting. Um, you can find them here. Uh, but nevertheless, you can see our code here, uh, github.com slash pipekit slash argocondemos. And um, yeah, so like I, like I mentioned, this is going to contain our Dask pipeline um, and, you know, helping you get set up in Argo and also, you know, installing everything and uh, also showing the, the, the Argo workflow templates that we'll use. Okay, so uh, one more <laughs> example of things out of order. Uh, all right, so the demo stack that we'll use today comparable to the full stack that we use at Acure is of course gonna be much simpler. Um, so what we are going to do is uh, just use Kubernetes, Argo workflows, um, and um, uh, and then just you know the Dask pipeline on top of that. And that checks most of the boxes uh, for these requirements that I mentioned before, but of course not all of them. 
Uh, and I think that that's okay. Uh, you know, for a simple demo, it should be fine. All right, I also wanna talk a little bit about what will happen inside of the Kubernetes cluster. So we have um, a fairly simple setup where uh, we have the Argo server is installed in the default namespace. Next to that is also the Argo workflow controller. Um, we have the, there's an Argo controller config map that, that's basically used to control how Argo um, behaves. We then have this cluster workflow template, this um, you know standard one that I mentioned over here, this, this one in blue, the generic one. So that will happen um, also in the standard namespace or rather the default namespace. And, um, or rather, excuse me, it's actually at the cluster level. So it's not in any namespace. Um, and we have some reusable cluster roles that allow um, you know, actions to happen inside of specific namespaces. And then within a customer specific namespace, we have a workflow template, which will scale out the, um, the example pipeline that I just described um, by using the, the standard scaler. And um, we have a cron workflow template, which will put that on a schedule so that it runs, you know, for example, every Thursday at 2 p.m. And, um, uh, you know, other customer specific configurations, you know, such as IAM credentials and, um, you know, API secrets, these types of things would also be in here as well. Uh, we will use a cluster-wide Argo workflows installation. Um, there's several different ways to install Argo. So we will use cluster-wide because that makes things easier. And um, uh, like I mentioned, we will have customer specific namespaces. In fact, we will have the, um, you know, a very uh, uh, interestingly named customer, uh, named customer today. So, you know, very, very creative. And with that, let's go live. So um, yeah, here we have my code. And here you see me doing some testing, making sure things are working. So is this large enough part? Can you let me know? I can go a bit bigger if needed. If you can go a little bit bigger, that'd be helpful. Yeah. Sure. A little bit. One more, there we go. Yeah, it should be good, yeah. Perfect, all right. So. Um, yeah, so this is actually the code that you will find at the Git repository that I, um, that I mentioned previously. I imagine you, if people are watching this later, they can just rewind and get that link. Um, or maybe Bert, we can share it afterwards, uh, whichever makes the most sense. But um, anyhow, so you see in here the Argo workflows installation. And this is a very basic installation. Um, it's only lightly adapted from the... Um, the quick start installation from Argo workflows themselves. Um, I think I've added in some specific things here for um, and, you know, creating a namespace. Actually, I think you see that at the top yet. Yeah. Uh, so creating a namespace and a few other things that are specific to this demo. Uh, but for the most part, it's just a basic uh, Argo workflows installation. So I won't go through that um, in detail. But if you were doing this uh, for yourself, you should actually be able to just kubectl apply this. Um, I need to move my camera a bit. There we go. Uh, you should just be able to kubectl apply this. And um, actually I'm cheating because it's, you'll notice already applied. Um, but you will notice that there's not so much going on. Get pods. Um, yeah, so it's an Argo server and an Argo workflow controller. And normally these will come online in like I don't know, like a minute or two. So they're, they're quite fast. Um, it's actually not quite pleasant. Um, right, so uh, let's talk about this standard desk scaler template. So again, I think in the interest in time, or rather in the interest of time for, to leave questions or leave room for questions later on, I won't go through this in explicit detail. Um, I'm happy to answer questions about it later on if someone would like, but this is a Argo workflows template um, YAML file. And you, you'll notice here that it's, it's just YAML. It's actually um, quite similar to other Kubernetes uh, resources. You know, you have like metadata and spec and these types of things. Um, and it does come in as a custom resource definition. So, you know, that's where we get kind cluster workflow template. And the template itself is actually, you know, you, you define some number of templates, um, you know, individual actions that need to happen within this workflow. 
and then you give it an entry point, which in this case is just main. And the templates themselves can, um, of course, accept some parameters, some of those parameters having defaults, um, others requiring, um, required, uh, excuse me, other ones being required. Um, and then, uh, you know, a, a, a step can itself have several sub-steps, right? So here we are uh, generating a task scheduler, like I mentioned, passing in the inputs from above and, um, yeah. And then after that, we would scale out our, um, our workflow. And here you see, we pass on the IP address. So that's actually a super, super simple thing to do. Um, really nice with Argo workflows, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and then inside the scaling, I just wanna show off this real quick. Inside of the scaling template, we use the template called Dask Scaler, uh, which is here. And this is another template which has uh, you know, these parameters which must come in. And we then create our oh, hello, uh, primary pipeline, uh, making sure to pass on the IP address and also our Dask deployment workers. And the primary pipeline is here. And this is a template which is actually just a container. So it's going to, um, so this is where real computation is gonna start happening. Um, it's, gonna con it's gonna be a container. It's gonna run this image that comes in as an argument. And it's basically just running a Python script. So, you know, nothing magical is happening in there. And the Dask worker scaler, uh, which, where did I put this one here? Um, this one is actually creating a resource. And you see here that it's creating a deployment. And that is just a normal Kubernetes deployment definition with parameterization. So, you know, super intuitive to use if you have a background with Kubernetes. And, um, you know, you can get running with it uh, right away. And then there's a few other. Clean this up. There's a few other templates in here to do some cleanup afterwards, as as I mentioned. Um, okay, uh, that's it for the standard scaler. Let's talk a little bit about the um, the specific workflow template for this. Uh, you know, for this pipeline that I want to scale out. So here is a workflow template uh, which basically only has one step in it, and that's just. Um, a, a wrapping of the standard scaler. So this one here. So it just basically references that uh, scaler, passes in some arguments uh, here, and that's it. Doesn't need to do anything else. Um, quite simple. And so like it defines some input arguments that we know, you know, we always want to be true for this particular pipeline. You know, it should always come from this image, for example, and you know it should always find uh, the Python scripts that we want to run inside of this folder within the image, and um, you know we leave a little, a few other arguments like the number of workers and other arguments. Uh, we still allow those to come in um, at runtime, so that is fine. And um, there's another nice thing: we get some uh, semaphore synchronization. So basically, we can say, "Hey, this pipeline can only run once in parallel." And that can help us from, you know, uh, not overriding our database or, um, you know, if we were, if this was an ETL pipeline and making sure that it doesn't, um, you know, overwhelm like a customer's API or something like that. And then if we want to schedule this, we just have to create this cron workflow template or rather cron workflow uh, where we just reference the Windy City template, uh, this one up here. And we just say, yeah, please run for us. Um, I think this is every Sunday at midnight, 13 minutes, if I haven't forgotten my cron notation, or every Monday, maybe. Um, I always have to Google it. So anywho, so that is Argo. Let's talk a little bit about the Dask pipeline itself. Um, so that here, now we're in Python territory. <laughs> um, quick, quick left turn. Um, so here we are with Python, and you see that we're importing um, uh, we're importing pandas, we're importing NumPy, um, and distributed, which comes from Dask themselves, to, just to give ourselves the client. Um, and that is it. So there's actually nothing else that we need to, to make this run on the Python side. And here is our function for getting the windiest city. Um, like I said, it just takes in a date 
Um, it's then going to loop through all of our cities. It's going to, you know, read a parquet file, extract the 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 date at that time step, and it's just going to say like, hey, the windiest city is X city um, at this time step. So you know, again, nothing super crazy happening there, um, and very very inefficient. So like, you know, don't make your desk pipelines like this. Right, there are much better ways to do this. Uh, if you're trying to do exactly this um, this task, uh, but nevertheless, the important thing to mention here is that this is a completely like you know you could put anything in here. So this is just a Python script, right? There's there's no limitation to what could happen inside of this function, so long as you don't um, overwhelm the memory constraints of the of the worker that's hosting it. Um, yeah. And then our pipeline is basically going to, I'm not going to go through it in detail. Again, happy to answer questions later on if someone uh, does have specific questions. But basically, you know, we just have to run our um, get windy city function. We just have to submit it to our Dask client. And we do that one time for each timestamp. And then we just gather all those things and Dask takes care of all the networking behind us or behind the scenes for that. And, you know, this is something that I could run this directly right now on my computer um, without um, without thinking about Kubernetes clusters or parallelization or anything like that. I could run it completely in, in, uh, in serial. I could get into a normal debugger um, completely in Python the whole way, even down into the tasks. So it's really developer friendly, I would say. Um, and then when I do want to scale it out, um, you know, Dask handles that for me. And then here's a quick entry point. Um, which allows me to execute this from the command line. So this is um, this is where my uh, if I come back over here to my primary pipeline in the in the Argo workflow, you see here that you know this is where it's just running my Python script right there. So it's just coming in to here, and then that's where we get the connection into Python. And with that, that is it. So um, yeah, I think now is a good time to put my money where my mouth is and show you what uh, working. So let's make some space. And all right, so I'm moving my camera. Okay, so um, it's, uh, oops, excuse me. And it's not what I would expect. Okay, anywho, so I should now be able to, so I should be able to see kubectl get pods minus n customer. So customer is my namespace that I'm using, as I mentioned, and there should be nothing in there. Nice. And also Argo, um, sorry, not get list. Yeah, so we have no workflows going. Okay, so if I wanted to submit this pipeline, uh, it's actually quite simple. Um, oh, actually, I totally forgot. Um, so I've installed Argo workflows, but I haven't, um, I haven't uh, added these uh, these templates. So let me actually do that real quick. So I will do just just apply them real quick. Kubectl apply minus f desk standard. So I'll just apply the standard workflow templates and um, also the customer specific workflow templates. And whenever you want to do it, nice. Okay, so now we should be able to see, say, uh, customer get workflow temple. I think it's that. Maybe there's an M in there. Um, yes. Yeah, okay, so you can see that I now have my workflow template inside of the Windy City, or rather I have the Windy City template inside of my customer namespace. And, um, you know, I can also see what is currently scheduled. And you can see that my Windy City template is scheduled to run on that cron schedule that I mentioned previously. Uh, and the next run will be in five days. So some nice access to the current state there. And if I want to run that, again, making a little bit of room, I would just need to say, let's say Argo, um, actually I'm just going to cheat a bit. Uh, no, so Argo minus n customer submit. There we go. Okay. 
So the notation here is I want to submit inside of the customer namespace this template, um, and I want to you know override these arguments. I don't have to. I just you know can if I want if I want to. And as soon as I run that, let me um, put you up there. Can I squeeze in another terminal? Let's see. I think I can. Okay, so you see that the Dask scheduler has already come online. Um, it, it is a, uh, it's a daemon template. So because of that, it stays uh, running the whole time, whereas the deployment workers um, just makes the deployment. So that's why it has the check mark there. Um, and if I wanna check out what's going on inside of that, I can do kubectl. Um, actually, I need to get this pod. So I mentioned that Dask um, has a dashboard which you can check out, customer. And let's do ports forward and paste that pod. And specifically, I want to forward the port 8787 because that's the port that Dask uses for its dashboard. And hopefully, if I haven't missed it, 787. OK, cool. We are in business. You see that the um, the pipeline is running and uh, it's actually still adding these tasks. So I didn't actually describe this notation that I was using over here, um, which of course you can't see anymore, but you'll notice that I, I said time steps equals to 10,000. That means I'm submitting 10,000 individual jobs. So that's why this number here is still climbing. I'm sorry if you can't see this, I actually can't make this, or maybe I can actually. And then if I refresh, and once again, Bart, you can let me know if this is something visible or not. No, I can see it pretty well, yeah. If it wants to come back, sometimes port forward struggles. Stop. Oh no, tragedy. So, broken pipe. Sorry, technical difficulties. All good. Let's, all right, you are not doing your thing. So let's do one more time. Okay, now we have a dash dashboard again. Looks good. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you see that it's scaling out here um, and we have, you'll notice, um, I didn't show this before, and actually I'm, I'm sad that I didn't. Um, but when we started this, we should have seen that there were um, kubectl. There, there should have been only one node, which is online. Get nodes. And now we should have more than one. If kubectl wants to, so this look, looks like this one is finishing. That's nice. Okay, um, you are struggling. Um, just quick internet check, Bart, are you hearing me? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can hear you, but you, your screen, your Zoom screen it was frozen, but now it's not. Okay, and also my internet is telling me that it's unstable, so that's probably what was just happening. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, you know what? Um, I think you can take my word for it. Uh, basically, what's really nice about, uh, about this setup is when the pipeline started, it, there was only one node online, but when we have, um, once the pipeline was running, yeah, you'll notice here that we have more nodes came online and you'll see here that three of those nodes um, are much younger than those two of those nodes, uh, which were online before. And that's quite nice because, you know, the pipeline, you know, the, you know, the whole cluster scales up as the pipeline needs. Um, so that's what I was trying to showcase there. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, you get a dashboard, you get scaling, it's all well and good. So let me then come back to our presentation. And so that's it for the demo, short and sweet. Um, I could go into uh, more detail again if someone was interested, but I think that's enough for the time being. So let's just have some closing remarks. Um, so the question, of course, is when would you want to use Argo Workflows uh, plus Dask and when would you not want to? So 
personally, I've found that this tends to work really well, obviously, when you're working in a you know Python-heavy team, um, and specifically when you're wanting to deal with scheduled workflows, right? So when you have scheduled automated workflows um, written in Python that need to scale out, you know, maybe they use Dask, uh, or maybe not, you know, maybe use like OpenMPI or something like that, uh, also, also fine. Um, then I find that like the Argo plus Dask combination is a, um, is a really good one and, and we're quite happy with it. But for the periods where, you know, developers are in the loop, you know, like we have some, some dev who's, you know, testing out a new feature or a new algorithm, um, then these like Dask as a service uh, tools, such as, like I mentioned before, Coiled or Saturn Cloud, um, you know, the, these tend to fit really well because they're the, uh, the developers can actually operate completely outside of the Kubernetes space. And, you know, they just say, you know, they say, hey, Coiled, give me a cluster. I want, you know, hundred workers inside of it. Um, and, you know, that might be a little bit more expensive than it would be in the Kubernetes setup, but, you know, it also nevertheless works fine. Um, it's also important to mention that Dask is not a silver bullet. You know, we have experienced some instabilities, especially for long running pipelines. Um, so we found that pipelines that take uh, hours are generally fine, whereas pipelines that take days can sometimes have issues. Um, you also can do batch processing like I showed today with Dask, but it's not, to be totally honest, it's not really the main focus of Dask. Dask really focuses on the um, shared parallel processing um, type use cases, you know, with Dask uh, data frames and Dask uh, arrays. And, you know, also it's important to mention that Dask is an active project, so it's also evolving itself. And I also wanted to mention that there are several Dask alternatives that you could consider using if you're interested in this, but you know, if Dask isn't the right fit. So one example would be Cooler, um, which kind of allows you to create develop or to develop Argo workflows, but to do so directly in Python. Um, this wasn't the right choice for us because of you know, this latency issue, uh, but nevertheless, it might be the right choice for someone else. And there's also a, a package called Ray, uh, which is quite similar to Dask in many regards also allowing for low-level parallelization in Python. I don't have specific or significant personal experience with it myself, but I've, I've heard that it's also um, more stable than Dask, um, but maybe less, less featured. So a bit of a trade-off there. And with that, uh, we are done. Hopefully there's enough questions in the air time in the end for questions. Well, I'm sure we're good, yeah, you know, but I think also you did, you did address it because you were talking a lot about you know, the positive sides, the benefits that Dask has provided in your particular case. But as you said in the very beginning, you know, you try to match the tool to the developer and not the other way around. Um, so being sensitive to that based on people's level of experience and what they do well, um, some things are going to work better than others. We're talking about, you know, as you've seen sort of this, this progress over time, where we're talking about infrastructure and looking at Kubernetes. One of the fundamental questions that comes up in our community is how Kubernetes was not originally designed for data in mind, which is why our community exists, you know, state for workloads, et cetera. What do you think are the biggest challenges right now that are preventing organizations such as, you know, uh, Acure where you're working and users from adopting this strategy of running data on Kubernetes, perhaps in the case of Argo workflows? Yeah, well, it's, it's very new. And, yeah. you know, I, I would be definitely lying if I was saying that it was like all rainbows and unicorns um, <laughs> using this approach on our side. You know, we, we have had our fair share of headaches with it, and it's a very you know, it's a very manual solution, right? So it's like, it's definitely requiring a lot of Kubernetes knowledge, um, a lot of uh, Dask knowledge, a lot of distributed computing knowledge and cloud knowledge, honestly, to, to pull it all together. Um, and that might not be a setup that everyone is, um, that everyone has, you know? And, you know, it's like, not just that, but also, um, as I mentioned, Dask wasn't, it wasn't originally intended for this purpose. It, it works well for this person. Sho shoehorned in, we can say. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, some of these other tools like, like Ray might actually even be a better fit there. Uh, like I said, I haven't done that personally myself yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but because of that, I, I could imagine that being a bit of a, um, of a liability, you know, because it's not a proven technology like Spark or Hadoop or something like that. Um, uh, but I do find it to be quite an effective one. Yep. So, you know, I would say that the, uh, to answer your question specifically, in my opinion, um, one of the main things that's like holding people back in this regard is probably just 
breadth of experience, you know, because like all of these things are possible when you have a foot in all of these different buckets. Um, but when you only know Kubernetes or you only know Python or you only know X tool, um, you might not necessarily think to put them together. Um, Got it. No, that's a very, very good point. Like the, the logic might not necessarily be there. And going back to what you mentioned previously, that's a really good point that you mentioned that hasn't necessarily been addressed in some of our live streams, although I'm sure a lot of people would agree that looking for proven technologies in an area that's so innovative, there's going to be scarcity. You know, like some of this stuff just hasn't been tested well enough to go to an innovation manager or CTO and say, oh, don't worry, this is a track record of five years, or in the case of, you know, a Spark and Hadoop, you know, we're talking now beyond 10 um, or, or getting close to 10 years. So that, that level of being battle tested, I think is, is definitely gonna be providing some doubts there. But once again, that's why we have the community to get practitioners together to be talking about this. Um, in terms of the benefits that you've seen provided to your organization because of choosing this strategy, what would be some of the key things that you would say have stood out for you that could perhaps serve as an inspiration for other organizations that are considering taking that route? So, yeah, I mean, I would say the two biggest strengths that I, I would really like to highlight here are the genericness of this setup. So, um, you know, I mentioned that uh, before, but, you know, just to, to mention it again, you know, Argo workflow is already super generic because you can just string these containers together. And for people who prefer to stay in the Python world, um, you really can't get uh, more generic than what Dask allows, you know, at like a super low level, you know, Dask really provides this high level interface um, that allows for a lot of, you know, um, a lot of things, right? And that includes ML type applications, ELT applications, um, or, you know, other things that need parallel processing. Um, so like Dask really, really, really lets that happen. You know, and the other real strength of this, in my opinion, is you know, again, bringing the scalability to the developer who doesn't need to understand anything about um, Kubernetes and, and doesn't need to understand um, so much about like distributed computing and these types of things. And they, it really allows people to, I would say, specialize, which is very important in a curious case. That's a good point. And I, I like what you said there too, is that and there's now going to be a documentary coming out about Kubernetes, and you know, there's been plenty of conversations about this, about how maybe not everybody needs to know absolutely everything. So like you said, mm -hmm. that, that importance of specialization. And to some people, you know, a lot of this stuff can be, be in the background, behind the scenes, under the hood, et cetera. Um, for those who need to know, they will know. And for others, it'll just be, you know, uh, something they won't necessarily be interacting with directly. So I think that's, uh, those are very, very good points. Um, that being said, if people want to find out where you are, how can they find you? LinkedIn, Twitter, what's the best way to do it? Uh, good question, actually. I meant to put that on my last slide. Um, but why don't I, just for the sake of people who um, look at this later on, so I can go ahead and write them down. Um, so back to my screen. So cool. email <laughs> s.ryberg at akira.net. Um, LinkedIn is, I think, my full name, which is, I can't even spell my name. There we go. Yeah, you're uh, you, definitely the, the first person I've met named Severin, so easy to find in that sense. Yeah, well, here's the twist. Uh, my real first name is actually, so my GitHub is going to be Severberg. Okay. GitHub. And LinkedIn, in case you're interested, is going to be, here's the twist, David Severin Ryberg. So first name is actually David, but I go by my middle name, Severin. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, I imagine, uh, so Severin is a last name or a first name? Um, depends on who you talk to. I, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th that's where you can find me. And uh, besides that, I am oh, also... If you, want, if you want to share your screen so we can see that. Oh, I am not sharing my screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. We're having a nice chat. <laughs> it's okay. There we are. Back to the beautiful coffee cup. Lovely. Zoom in, zoom in. Uh, yeah, but anyway, folks will be able to see that just fine. Um, so yeah, there you got the email, GitHub, LinkedIn as well. Also, in the DLK community in the Slack. Um, so I'm sure for folks that are watching this, if you want to take the conversation a little bit further, feel free to jump in. As I've said, you know, we've had other uh, other talks around this. We've never had a talk to that's matched up with Dask. And taking a look at the way that you did, um, also very nice to see from an end user perspective. That's really, really nice to see that too. 
also seeing your background um, in looking at uh, and renewable energies. That's probably a conversation we could take further. Um, but really appreciate having you here. Last thing, can I, can I ask you to stop sharing your screen so I can share mine really quickly? Absolutely. All righty, perfect. So, you know, we have a tradition in our community that while our speaker is giving their talk, we have an amazing graphic recording artist who's behind the scenes, um, creating a, a depiction in real time of the things that are being mentioned. Um, unfortunately, we're not able to get conclusive evidence about the windiest city in Spain, so we'll leave that. <laughs> oh, I forgot that part. But oh, I would, no. but I, I think is, I would put substantial money that it is Bilbao because <laughs> you can. Yeah, I like to go running, and you can run in, in, in with the wind blowing towards you on the way out, and the wind blowing towards you on the way back. It's amazing here. Uh, so yeah, we have also, and when when planes land in the airport here, that's always a bit of a, an interesting an interesting experience because the airport is basically put in like a wind tunnel um, in a valley. So, so the wind comes in quite strong, but I would be curious to know how the other Spanish cities rank. Um, so that's a conversation we can continue later on. But anyway, Severin, thank you very much for your time today. Extremely informative. We'll definitely want to have you back uh, soon so you can expect to hear from me and wish you nothing but the best. All right. Thank you so much.